So today we pick up right on the heels of where we left off last time. And Andy mentioned it at the very end of last Sunday's message was Jesus affirming that he indeed was the Messiah, the Christ of God. And so right on the heels of him affirming that, yes, he would be Messiah, we we learned yesterday that he kind of said, maybe not what you're expecting, though, because as Messiah, I will suffer, I will be rejected, I will be killed, as a matter of fact. And so right on the heels of that, we open up now to Luke 9 again, and we see Jesus inviting these people to follow that kind of Messiah and what that would look like for them if they chose to accept it because ultimately it is your choice. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus lays it out for them. It's their choice. There's a movie that came out in 1999 called The Matrix. And in The Matrix, if you've seen the movie, you know that very early on there's an iconic scene. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you may have seen a reference to the scene because in the scene, the character Morpheus meets with the protagonist Neo and offers him a choice. Because even early on in the movie, Neo realizes that there's something deeper going on. There's a deeper truth or a deeper meaning than his day-to-day reality, but he's not really connected to it. And so Morpheus meets with him, and they do some really cool tricks with the camera. And you see Neo reflected in these really amazing Morpheus glasses. And what Morpheus does is tells him, listen, I can show you the truth if you want to see it, but it's your choice. And he holds out his hands, and in one hand he has a blue pill, the other has a red pill. And he essentially says, take the blue pill, you wake up tomorrow, you forget all of this, you go on with your life, you believe whatever you want, continue to live in the illusion. Take the red pill, and he says, I'll show you how far down the rabbit hole goes. If you want to know the truth, it's your choice. And I see a little bit of that in Jesus unpacking for his disciples. Here's what it will mean to follow me. If you want it, it is your choice. And so I want to play on this theme of blue pill, red pill, because there's such a contrast in the two lives that Jesus presents here. A contrast between choosing a life that's centered on self or choosing a life that's centered on Christ. So let's start with this blue pill. The first one would be don't deny yourself anything. We'll get to the red pill opposite in a moment, but essentially it's this, a life that does not center on Jesus centers on self. And in that situation, you get to choose your own level of self-denial. And in a situation like that, how often are you going to choose to deny yourself anything? Probably not very often. Not how we're wired. It's not how we do things as human beings. And there's a word for this. It's actually an ancient word from ancient Greece Uh, We can trace it all the way back to Aristippus, and he started the idea 
of hedonism. And hedonism basically just means this. It's the belief that the pursuit of pleasure, the satisfaction of desires, that is the highest human good and therefore the proper aim of human life. Now, pure and unedited hedonism is really not a, a, a realistic way to live your life. If you only go around seeking to fulfill your desires or pleasures constantly, Honestly, pretty soon you'll just be dead. It's not really pure and unedited. It's not a way to live life. So what we do, though, is we sort of hedge our bets and we shrewdly live out in in our culture what I would call regulated hedonism. It's a shrewdly regulated hedonism. We adapt, right? We deny ourselves, but only in service of when we're going to get something we value more than the thing that we're denying ourselves of. Regulated hedonism. An example, we value relationships. And so sometimes we have to choose things, we have to deny ourselves in order to maintain relationships that we care about. We regulate our hedonism. Or just the fact of having a job. You can't be a pure, unedited hedonist and maintain employment. It's not possible. Because guess what? Sometimes you're not going to like your job, right? It's going to be this thing where you're like, wow, I don't want to go there today and to do those things. And so what we do is we do regulated hedonism in order to maintain the things that we know we value. We sort of cut back on it. One of the phrases that I think connects with us today is the idea of follow your heart. You guys heard that phrase? Just follow your heart. Wherever your heart leads you, just follow, follow your heart. It actually traces back to the phrase, the heart wants what it wants. Familiar with that? The heart wants what it wants. Any of you know where that comes from? Yeah, it actually goes all the way back to Emily Dickinson in 1862 in one of her letters. She wrote, the heart wants what it wants, or else it does not care. 1862. Now, in searching for that phrase, the heart wants what it wants, I was alarmed to find that there's a much newer version of the phrase because uh, Selena Gomez in 2015 wrote a song and she absolutely plagiarized Miss Dickinson when she said, you might be right, but I don't care. There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. Don't deny yourself anything. Even if you know in the end you're probably going to get hurt, don't deny yourself anything. This is the blue pill life. Continue to live in the illusion. Follow your heart because the heart wants what it wants. The trouble is, What Scripture teaches us about the human heart is a little different. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Luckily, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. I don't know about you, but primarily in your life, following a guide who has a tendency to be deceitful at every turn sounds like a very bad idea. But that's the blue pill life. The alternative, the red pill, is you need to deny yourself, take up a cross every day. To deny yourself. The Greek word there is arneomahi, and it simply says, it means to say no or to disregard your own interests. And guys, 
we are terrible at this. We are so bad at telling ourselves no. We're decent at telling other people no. We are really bad at telling ourselves no, at disconnecting ourselves from our own interests. And it's not just about um, saying no to your own sin nature. That's obvious. But it's sometimes just saying no when your interests, even if not sinful, will draw you away from what you know you've been called to in Christ. Deny yourself and then take up a cross daily. Now, that phrase means something to us today that it did not mean yet to these disciples when they first hear Jesus talking about it. Today, we, we hear the phrase, carry your cross, and we have a modern-day Christian mindset for what that actually means. Those disciples are hearing Jesus say, take up your cross. This is a torturous form of execution performed publicly by the Roman state on the most despised criminals, and it serves two simultaneous purposes. One, make the criminal suffer, extremely suffer, and the other is make an example out of that person. If you do the kind of thing this person does, this is the result that you would face. Because those people literally, we know this from Jesus later, carry their crosses. They carry the cross beam on their shoulders, on their back, all the way to the place of execution. So if we were listening to Jesus say these words today, they might sound something like this. In order to follow me, you need to deny yourself and be willing to be tied down to your own lethal injection table. Or to take that journey of being a dead man walking. It would have shocked their ears to hear Jesus talking about a form of execution. Carry your cross. And I want to make sure we understand that not every instance of suffering is a cross-carrying experience. Sometimes we read that into it. Anytime we suffer or struggle, we are carrying a cross. But in fact, this passage seems to indicate that cross-carrying is voluntary. We choose to carry a cross. It's not what we have thrust upon us that is something beyond our control. Now, those things, I'd argue that's closer to when Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. There, There are sometimes some things that we persevere through. That's not really carrying a cross. To carry a cross is doing something sacrificial to benefit others. We learn from John 3.16, the bare bones basic Bible verse, right? That when Jesus chose the cross, it was to benefit the whole world. It didn't benefit him, it benefited the whole world. And it's only here in Luke's account that this is seen to be a daily activity. Carry your cross daily. So not just a willingness to die as a martyr, because if you're just told, carry your cross, that could mean, okay, I'm willing to die as a martyr. But when the phrasing is, take up a cross daily, this, it's a willingness to live sacrificially on a day-to-day basis. Surrender to Jesus is not a one-time event. It's not an altar call. You come forward, you do the thing one time, and you're done. Surrender to Jesus is not a weekly event where you gather for worship, you sing some songs, you're inspired, the scripture connects with you, and you're done. No, surrender to Jesus is what? Every single day. Be willing to carry your cross daily. Now, I do have to say a word about our desires because sometimes we read things like this and we start to go, man, Nothing I desire is good. I need to reject and run away from all of it. Well, that's not true either. We read in the psalm that not all of our desires are wrong and to be avoided. Take delight in the Lord and what? He will give you the desires of 
your hearts. Well, how do you know that the desires of your heart are the things that the Lord wants to get you? As I tell us often, look at the context. Look at the wider scope of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. I'm convinced that if we're trusting in the Lord, doing good, committing our ways to Him, that the desires of our heart will indeed be the kind of things that God wants to give us. So instead of hedonism, take up your cross daily and surrender. Here's the next blue pill. Save your life only to lose it in the end. Those who save their lives, Jesus says, will actually end up losing their lives in the end. And I try to think, how do, I, how do I talk about this? How do I talk about the idea of when you try to save something, you actually end up losing it in the long run, and then it hit me, and I got it. I just need to talk about triclosan, obviously. Right? Journey with me, if you will. Triclosan is an antibiotic chemical that was developed in the 1960s, and by the 70s, it was widely in use in hospital environments across the country and even globally. It is still used today in surgical scrubs. It's uh, put on uh, surgical sutures as a coating to help prevent infection at the site of a surgery. It's also still used um, in some pre-surgery washing regimen. So if you've had any sort of surgery recently and part of it was like washing ahead of time, there might have been some triclosan in that because it's a way to try and prevent infections during surgery. So came about in the 60s, widely used in the 70s, but in the decades that followed, its use exploded. Here's what I mean by that. By the year 2000, It was in 75% of liquid soaps in the United States, and as of 2014, it was used in over 2,000 consumer products, including kitchen utensils, toys, bedding, socks, and trash bags. It was everywhere. I actually remember this. I remember in like the mid to late 90s, it's like everything was antibacterial, like all, all of the stuff, and probably a lot of it was triclosan. Now, here's the issue, though. Studies eventually found that for day to day use, It was actually no better at preventing sickness or infection than good old-fashioned soap and water. No better. And in addition to that, it got linked to some health problems, both in our endocrine system and in what they call cross-resistance for treating bacterial infections. What does that mean? Well, long-term day-to-day exposure to triclosan meant that if you got something like E. coli and you needed some sort of antibiotic to treat it, it might not work. Right? So in, in 2016, the FDA ruled that triclosan was a contaminant of emerging concern. That's a real phrase. I'm quoting that. A contaminant of emerging concern, and they pulled any products with it off the market in the public. So this chemical became widely used in an effort to do what? To save our health. And not only was it no better than soap or water, it actually became detrimental to the health we're trying to protect. We were doing it 
to save health. And in the end, we actually harmed our health. When we live our lives with a form of protectionism, we feel like we're keeping everything safe, right? We're keeping it all safe. But what we end up doing is grasping life so tightly in the name of saving and protecting it that we don't experience the freedom that we are designed for. It's as if we choke the life out of life. Sort of like Elmira Duff. So if you're keeping track at home, that's if you had on your card... Uh, a sci-fi movie, an 1800s poet, Selena Gomez, a banned chemical, and an obscure 90s cartoon character, you won Sermon Bingo today. <laughs> yeah, just like they teach you in seminary, probably. So, Elmira Duff. Familiar? Animaniacs? Anybody? Just Okay, I see a couple hands. Yeah, I did not know this. She's actually sort of named for Elmer Fudd. So she's like related to that character. So in the 90s, Elmira Duff was on the Animaniacs, and she was most well-known for the fact that she had a lot of well-intentioned affection, right? As seen in this screen grab, I'll just read from the Wikipedia page about her. She was obsessed with animals and cute things, but always caused great discomfort or serious injury to her potential pets because of her over-enthusiastic affection and complete lack of even the most rudimentary knowledge of pet care. She squeezed the life out of anything she wanted to hold tightly. We can end up squeezing and choking the life out of life. In fact, the Greek word for lose here, apoluomahi, it actually, in other places in Scripture, translates to destroy or perish. There is an intensity to what can happen when we are so protective that we end up choking the life out of life. The red pill alternative, according to Jesus, you lose your life in order to find it. Now, some people literally lose their lives because of Jesus. We call them martyrs. If you read the book of Acts, Stephen is the first person whose life is prematurely ended because of his allegiance to Jesus, and there have been thousands, maybe millions since then. Some of you know the stories. I found one this week that I had never heard before. Have you guys heard about Um, the martyrdom of St. Lawrence? Well, if not, here's the quick story. St. Lawrence was a deacon of the Church of Rome, and he, he was in charge of the treasury of that young and growing church in Rome at the time. A new emperor came to the throne, Valerian, in 258, and he quickly issued an edict that all bishops, priests, and deacons of this growing church would be executed post haste and he demanded that Lawrence come and relinquish the treasury of the church to the Roman officials. Now, what Lawrence actually did was scramble and try and give away as much as he could to a bunch of different people so that it would all be safe. But then he did present himself before Valerian, and he brought with him the treasure of the church. He bought a whole bunch of widows and orphans who came and stood with him and said, this is the treasure of the church. And Valerian burned him alive because of it. Some people literally give up their lives because of their allegiance to Jesus. But what we're talking about here, this daily cross-carrying, this losing our life, probably should be more broad than just being willing to be martyred. 
Are we willing to lose our lives to or for Jesus if it means to be cut off from our own interests, if it means to put to death the old self? In other words, this day-to-day life is about submission and surrender to Christ. But here is the amazing thing. In submission and surrender to Jesus, instead of losing, we actually find. We gain. We experience freedom that is impossible if we're focused on protectively saving our own lives. The author, Roger Olson, says it better than I could, and he puts it this way. True freedom is, not, is found in not insisting on one's own rights, but in freely giving them up by being a servant to Jesus Christ first and the people of God second. That's pretty hard for 21st century Western people, heirs of the Enlightenment, brainwashed as we are by modernity's extreme emphasis on individualism and liberty to swallow. Pause. That's an entire sermon sometime because it's absolutely true and it's amazing. Moving on. We are bombarded from childhood with the message that freedom means self-assertion, insisting on your own rights, throwing off constraints, and creating yourself. The highest virtue in contemporary society is be true to yourself, or in old-school lingo, don't fence me in. No truth is more pervasive in Scripture and Christian tradition than this one, that real freedom is found in obedience and servanthood. And yet no truth is more incongruent with culture than that. Here we stand before a stark either-or, the gospel message of true freedom versus culture's idea of self-creation, autonomy, and doing it my way. The blue pill versus the red pill. Lose your life in order to find it. All right, one more pair. Here's a third blue pill from what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Gain the whole world and end up forfeiting the deepest part of yourself. From what we see here, Jesus seems to be teaching that making gains in the world, monetarily, possessions, etc., will actually disconnect us from ourselves and lead to less contentment and less joy in life. Here's what's interesting. Scientific studies are telling us the exact same thing. According to a 2018 study at Purdue where they used almost 2,000 people worth of Gallup data, here's what they found. Once we reach a certain uh, yearly household income, 105,000 in the U.S., 95,000 globally, more income tends to be associated with reduced life satisfaction and a lower level of well-being. And it's not just adults who are impacted by this. Children who come from affluent families are more likely to suffer depression, anxiety, and substance abuse than those who come from less affluent families. Sometimes you gain the whole world and you forfeit the deepest part of who you are. Now, I have to say this. I have this in my notes. Poverty is no picnic, right? Life satisfaction, well-being, those take big hits when we're not sure if we can put food on the table, pay our utilities, if we're drowning in debt, if we're living paycheck to paycheck, and we're one crisis away from a disaster. That is also true. But according to this article, and it was fascinating, what's true is the wealthier we get, the more we feel we then need to actually be happy. The more isolated we become, 
and the more hours we work to retain what we've gained. In fact, meaningful relationships become strained. And this one blew my mind. Within the last generation, the most elite wage earners in the United States have also seen the largest reduction in leisure time compared to any other demographic. You can gain the whole world, but you're going to lose so much in the process. The alternative, according to Jesus, hold on to your soul by letting go of everything else. And when I say letting go, I don't mean tossing it away necessarily. I mean holding things with an open hand, loosely. Be willing to let go of other things in order to hold on to the thing that matters most about who you are. First Timothy talks about this in chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So first, this passage contains one of the most often misquoted verses in the entire Bible. Money is evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. We read up there on the screen, the love of money, the desire to get rich. We're told it's a trap. It's a trap. It leads to foolish and harmful desires. It leads to ruin and destruction. And it's not just destruction. It's a distraction. It can make us wander away from the faith. And on top of that, it's self-sabotage. It leads to self-inflicted wounds. Many people have pierced themselves with many griefs because of the love of money. But instead, Proverbs 4 reminds us of one simple truth about our heart and our soul. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And think for a moment about who gives us these words. Solomon, someone who had every luxury that riches could buy. But he came to understand what can happen to your heart and to your soul in that pursuit. If you know Solomon's story, you know he was tempted, you know he was trapped, you know he made foolish choices, you know he wandered a long way from God and pierced himself with all kinds of grief because of a pursuit like that. Guys, your soul is the source of everything you are and do. Nothing is worth losing it. And so to sum up, it's your choice. You can choose hedonism or you can choose sacrifice. You can choose protectionism or you can choose surrender. You can choose to gain the whole world or you can choose to hold on to your soul. It is your choice a choice that each one of us is faced with. So with that in mind, let's go through a few reflections and consider a few things prayerfully as we finish our time together. Here's the first one. Are you living in some form of regulated hedonism? Do you follow your heart no matter the cost? In what ways are you sacrificing for the good of others? Second, in what ways are you trying to keep your life protected and safe? How tightly are you grasping it? 
Invite Jesus to show you that true freedom is found in surrender. And lastly, how tempted are you by the love of money? Are you being pulled into temptations and traps, wandering from the faith? Is your soul well guarded from the threats of gaining the whole world? So I'm going to flip through those reflections again. I hope and pray something grabs your heart during this time of silence and reflection that you and God can have a conversation about, a conversation that starts here and maybe extends beyond here. And after a few moments of reflection and silence, we'll close with a word of prayer.